You're listening to the Quince podcast. The Russia-Ukraine crisis can be explained as a modified version of the conflict game Chicken, where two players force each other to yield to avoid the worst possible outcome. And the reason I call this crisis a modified version of Chicken is because one player, Russia, has suddenly planted over 100,000 troops along the Ukraine border, escalating tensions to an unprecedented level. And the other player, the US and NATO, have been presented with a list of security demands by Russia, which include banning Ukraine and other former Soviet states from joining the military alliance. And the worst possible outcome in this case may be war. The US and other NATO allies have so far made no concessions to demands, terming it as a non-starter since they go against NATO's core principles of an open-door membership policy. US President Joe Biden has gone to the extent of warning that quote-unquote Russia will pay a heavy price if it chose to invade Ukraine. Russia has stated that it does not want a war and will not invade Ukraine. But the presence of troops and tanks at the border has stoked fears in the West that the Kremlin is ready to start a war if needed. The present crisis also puts India, a close long-term ally and trade partner of both the US and Russia, in a bind if the crisis does translate into a war scenario. The big question here being, will India remain neutral or choose a side? But the first issue to understand is why is Russia fielding soldiers at the Ukraine border? What is President Vladimir Putin's gameplay and what does this crisis mean for India? To discuss this, I'm joined today by a friend of the show, Professor Hashvi Pant, who is the Director of Studies and Head of Strategic Studies Program at the Observer Research Foundation, a global policy think tank. Get tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Himmat. Let's start with the main question first. Why is Russia threatening Ukraine? The answer lies in the Soviet Union history and Russia's desperation for warm water ports. In terms of history, what we know as Russia, Ukraine and Belarus today were originally part of the medieval superpower known as Kievan Rus. However, after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the early 90s, the countries went their separate ways. However, Russia did not accept this breakup and even now states that Russians and Ukrainians are quote-unquote one people and are part of the quote-unquote Russian civilization. This ideology was also highlighted in an essay written by President Putin where he questions the Ukrainian borders and claimed that Russia has been robbed of its historical land. He once called the breakup of the Soviet Union the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the last century. Now, Ukraine obviously rejects all these claims and this friction led to two revolutions one in 2005 and the other in 2014 and also pushed Ukraine closer to the US and NATO but the revolution in 2014 led to the annexation of the city of Crimea in short large scale protests erupted in Crimea over the impeachment of its then president Viktor Yanukovych these protests led to the overthrow of the government and a referendum vote by the Crimean people where 97% favored to be separated from Ukraine and be part of the Russian Federation But Russia's reluctance to accept Ukraine as an independent country continued, which has now brought up the present crisis, with 100,000 Russian soldiers posted at the Ukrainian and Crimea border. But the question is, why has Putin moved the chess pieces now? Professor Hashvi Pan, the director of studies and head of strategic studies program at ORF, says that Putin caught the US and NATO at a time when it was preoccupied with their own domestic concerns and a growing China. 
by moving the troops to the border and the looming possibility of a war brings the focus of the key players to Russia's concerns. I think, you know, there is a uh, there is a long-term and a short-term view on this so in the sense that there is, you know, Mr. Putin has viewed, um, you know, uh, he, he has been arguing that, look, the collapse of the Soviet Union has been one of the greatest geopolitical disasters of our times, and he's very sentimental about the past. Uh, he uh, you know, he views the, uh, the the satellite states of the former Soviet Union as part of his uh, in, uh, Soviet strategic space, and he doesn't want to see that space, uh, you know, uh, especially at this particular point in time when he feels that uh, the West is distracted, the West is preoccupied uh, with internal problems, the West does not have the stomach for a, you know, for a fight, uh, and he feels that he has an upper hand given the way uh, balance of power is evolving, uh, that uh, you know, a lot of focus is on China, mm-hmm. uh, and he perhaps uh, wanted to uh, use that opportunity to make a case uh, to the West that, look, uh, even as you are engaging with China at a different level, here I am uh, as an independent actor. Uh, I have my own concerns. Uh, Russia has its own concerns, and those concerns have to be taken into account as you try to find the modus of with the Chinese. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think uh, uh, with Ukraine, of course, you know this. Uh, this is a long-standing problem. You know, you know the Crimea crisis and uh, the Donbas area where there is already. A uh, lot of um, uh, you know, uh, Russia has created an enclave uh, mm-hmm. for itself. Uh, so uh, you know, it's not as if Ukraine uh, has not been under pressure from Russians. So, uh, but this was something where uh, you know amassing these troops and trying to uh, almost push this issue uh, uh, to a culmination point. That uh, then that one way or the other, you have to decide now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think stems largely from what he perceives to be the disadvantaged position of the West uh, in the mm-hmm. global hierarchy and, and the, the destruction that multiple domestic crises has uh, created for the West. And he mm-hmm. also, of course, views the leverage that he has with the West at this point in time. He doesn't see the West as a united uh, you know, entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wants to exploit that you know, he, he, as... Uh, uh, the, the vice admiral, German vice admiral, who made his comments in India and went back and had to resign. Uh, I think that that statement exemplifies the challenge for the West. That the West uh, is in two minds about what to do. They don't have a coherent strategy. They have different points of view on, on how to tackle the Russia threat. And Mr. Putin knows this. He knows the leverage he has. He knows that um, you know uh, inflation is is high at an all time high in the West. Uh, and um, you know, any energy shock that the West would get out of this crisis would not be worth uh, domestically for, for most of the uh, political leaders uh, in the West. So I think uh, he has used that space to make a case that uh, a frontal assault on Ukraine perhaps may not be in the offing, but mm-hmm. below that threshold, uh, he's keen to achieve uh, whatever he, he can uh, from uh, from um, as he as he as he drives us uh, a hard bargain with the West. But the big question now is how serious is the threat of a war? Has there been any signs of physical Russian interference at the border? As I stated earlier, there are about hundred thousand troops at the border. 
but this may change according to a US intelligence report obtained by the Washington Post which states that the Kremlin is planning a multi-front offense involving up to 175,000 troops. There was also a reported cyber attack launched on the Ukrainian government's websites on 13 January with the message quote-unquote be afraid and accept the worst. The attack reportedly affected 70 websites including the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Cabinet of Ministers and the Security and Defence Council. In a statement on 16 January, the Ukrainian Digital Transformation Ministry said that quote-unquote all the evidence points to Russia being behind the cyber attack. Moscow is now continuing to wage a hybrid war. However, Russia has denied any role and stated that quote-unquote Ukrainians are blaming everything on Russia, even the bad weather. But these cyber attacks are similar to those that Russia was accused of during the annexation of Crimea in 2014. So, is war a possibility if Russia does not get its way? Professor Pan says that though Russia is driving a hard bargain, a full-fledged war is not in its interest. He adds that while Russia has unleashed the forces, it will be difficult to climb down from this move. You know, I personally think it is largely about bargaining. You know, this is in classical sense we call it diplomacy of violence, right? So you mm. are uh, you are using uh, instrumentality of violence, which is the military uh, forces, to uh, to try to strive a, a hard bargain. Now, uh, the, of course, the challenge under these circumstances is that once you unleash these forces, they become very difficult to control. We know wars have been caused in the past by misperception, uh, you know, uh, by uh, by miscommunication. Mm. Uh, so it is possible that as uh, as the Western forces also uh, get amassed, as as Russian forces are there in huge numbers, uh, that there there can be a crisis that. can get out of control but by and large it is it won't be in the interest of the russians to uh, to do a frontal assault on uh, on ukraine because that would mean that russian forces would be there for a long time it won't it won't be an easy ride for russians at all uh, it's not as if ukraine is going to be a cake walk for them mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so once the forces enter there uh, you know who knows uh, you know what what the result would be Uh, so I don't think that um, uh, you know that it is in his interest to have uh, a full-scale assault on on Ukraine. Uh, but of course, the challenge is that he has unleashed those forces. Now, how will he control them, uh, and then how he will make sure that the you know, that the escalation remains calibrated, uh, that you know that uh, he can negotiate at the same time as he uh, ramps up the military posture. Mm-hmm. And uh, what if he loses uh, face? You know, what what are his options then? Uh, and then how will he convince uh, his own constituency back home that uh, that he has got out of this what he started out to get? So I think uh, there are a number of questions here. Uh, it, it, it doesn't seem that uh, that uh, you know full full on aggression is in the offing. Mm. Uh, but uh, then again, um, you know, who knows what Mr. Putin desires? Only he knows. As tensions rise, how have the main players, Ukraine, the US, and other NATO countries, responded to this? Ukraine Foreign Minister Kuleba on 26 January said that while the concentration of Russian troops do pose a threat, "quote unquote" their numbers is now insufficient for a large-scale offensive, and that Russia hopes to destabilize Ukraine by "quote unquote" spreading panic. The US and its allies have rejected Putin's demand and have threatened to impose severe economic sanctions if Russia moves into Ukraine. But the threat of sanctions so far has failed to deter Putin. However, war is not the only concern that the US and European countries have. Russia also controls the taps to the largest natural gas pipeline which powers one third of Europe, and these pipelines are crucial during the winter time. 
Russia is also not wary of turning off the taps, having done exactly so to Ukraine in June 2014. With rising oil prices and a supply crunch around the world, the fears of Russia using this doomsday action again has spread worldwide and has also hit home in India, with the stock market plummeting on 24th January over the crisis at the border. As I stated earlier, the conflict has put India on a tightrope, with close diplomatic and trade relations with both US and Russia. However, New Delhi is yet to issue an official statement on the matter, choosing to closely monitor the developments as of now. India in 2014 also took a neutral stance when it came to Crimea, and its carefully worded statement also reflected that. However, Russia used the silence over the issue as an endorsement, with Putin thanking India in 2014 for taking a restrained and objective view of its muscle flexing in Ukraine. So, is it in India's best interest to remain neutral in this issue? According to Professor Pant, not reacting so far is a good move, and that India's role in this crisis will only come up if Russia goes on a war footing. I think uh, not reacting so far is a good move, because mm. really, what would you achieve by reacting? And, and what can you say that would make a difference? Mm-hmm. This is this is not a uh, you know this is not a theater where your voice would make uh, an iota of difference either way. Mm-hmm. Now the, the question is, uh, as far as India is concerned, uh, the real challenge is diplomatic uh, and strategic mm-hmm. uh, because you have to balance out your two partners, both of whom are critical, uh, US and Russia, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think. Uh, if there is no full-on assault by the Russians, mm. then I think Indian, India can heave a sigh of relief. Uh, because, you know, it, it, would be, it would be a similar situation like the one in 2014. Yeah. You, you, uh, you issue an anodyne statement and that's it. Mm-hmm. But if there is a full-on assault, then I think several issues come to the table because then it becomes a question of uh, um, some of the principles that India had been being votary of, like you know, territorial integrity, sovereignty, what happens to them? When mm-hmm. you, go, you, know, you have a country that is being uh, violated, uh, terri- territorial integrity has been violated. I mean, India, is, India has always been a champion of uh, sovereign, sovereignty in international affairs. So, so um, you know, what do you, how do you square the circle? Mm. Um, but I think, again, the, the, the bigger issue is uh, how do you Ensure that your, um, you know, that your criticism of uh, of Russia and yeah. does not jeopardize your ties with Russia because you need Russia. You know that you need Russia, and uh, and at the same time you also know that by uh, I think uh, if India really uh, you know. Takes a, it takes a similar position like it took in 2014, mm-hmm. and there is a full-on assault by the Russians. Then it would be a very then then uh, then American politics yeah. uh, can create complications for India because the issue will uh, you know on the hill would become very uh, difficult for India to manage. Uh, there are the sanctions uh, which are still being talked about, uh, and that you know uh, the mood on on the U.S. Uh, side would change considerably. Uh, and there'll be a lot of pressure on the Biden administration uh, to, uh, you know, to sort of um, think again or rethink their mm-hmm. policy posture towards India, uh, um, mostly from from you know from the U.S. Congress. So yeah. I, I think that the pressures on India will rise uh, in whichever way this this cookie crumbles. So where do we go from here? 
On the diplomatic front, envoys from Russia, Ukraine, France and Germany met on 26 January in Paris to discuss the conflict, but no headway was made. They have, however, promised to meet for talks in Berlin later in February. But is there a middle ground to be reached in this crisis? Professor Pant believes that the crisis points towards a geopolitical security architecture of Europe, which has been stuck in place since the 1990s. With Russia now forcing the discussion to rebuild this architecture, all countries will be forced to bargain for a resolution. In a sense, this conflict is about the geopolitical architecture of Europe. Mm-hmm. What kind of a security architecture should there be in Europe? Uh, th- these questions that have been hanging in balance for since the end of the Cold War have now uh, become impossible to ignore. Yeah. Now, post Cold War, America had a particular uh, the West uh, had a particular architecture in mind as they mm-hmm. expanded to the East. Today, Russians are telling them that that is not viable under the present circumstances. Mm-hmm. That that architecture was maybe worked in the 1990s. It no longer works today. So how will you, um, you know, uh, so so the pressure is on the West now to reset the terms of their engagement with Russia. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, the, so the question is, uh, there is no doubt that uh, that the West will have to, uh, you know, uh, give in on certain issues. Mm-hmm. But it's not clear on what issues they can possibly give in without some significant cost to, to their own credibility. Okay. All right. Uh, so I think that's a real issue for the West. I think for the for the Russians, the, the the issue is that the Russians have got most of what they wanted to get out of the country. Yes, I don't think they can milk it uh, milk it anymore mm-hmm. without increasing the costs for themselves. You know, if they invade, there are going to be costs. If they if they be there, there are going to be costs. So I think they they do want a resolution to this problem, diplomatic resolution. But I think mm-hmm. they have laid out certain demands. Uh, there is a possibility that uh, that uh, and they want uh, you know I think that engagement to continue with. with where uh, the West gives in to some of these demands. The question is, which of these demands can the West... Mm-hmm. Is, is, is it possible for the West to give in? The crisis on the Ukraine border continue to brew with each side not willing to yield. However, the big question still remains. To what extent will Russia go to force the other players' hands? If you liked listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website and for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts.